I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers on Gangs and Guns. We have seen a sharp rise in shootings in New York City, and it's not even the summer yet. There are concerns expressed by the police commissioner, by community leaders, by residents, by the MTA leadership, by all sorts of people from all walks of life in New York City, that if the shooting situation is not brought under control, if there's not a coordinated strategy to deal with it, we're gonna have a summer of violence that's going to derail a lot of the joy that people are starting to feel about things being able to reopen again. So we're gonna take a look in this episode of Street Soldiers at the gun violence in particular, what's behind it, what's driving it, and also we're gonna talk about what some of the solutions are and uh, try to further the discussion so we understand what we're really dealing with and hopefully can have a peaceful summer and not lose any more lives to this gun violence. Joining me for this episode, Aisha Seku. She's the founder and CEO of Street Corner Resources. It's a premier cure violence site in Harlem. She's dedicated her life to uplifting her community as well as showing young people positive alternatives to violence. Aisha, great to have you with us. Aisha, I think we lost your audio. There. Thank you for okay. having me. All right, great. We're really got you. happy to be here. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Dr. Robert Gonzalez. He's a former assistant commissioner for training with the NYPD and assistant professor of criminal justice at St. John's University. 22 years law enforcement experience. Um, Rob, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Tamik Floyd. He's an outreach coordinator for the Taj Gibson Foundation and his he unfortunately lost his nephew, Shaheem McLean, who was 21 years old to gun violence last fall. Tamik, our condolences to you and your family over the loss of, of your nephew, and we thank you for being with us. Thank you, I appreciate you for having me on the show once again, Lisa. Thank you. Aisha, we look at the gun violence that's already happening. It, it is up by the high double digits, more than 80% so far this year already over last year. And even taking into account the shutdown, the numbers are shocking. The police commissioner says more guns have come into New York City than ever before. Police officers are taking off more guns uh, off the streets. And yet this violence continues. We've seen children increasingly caught in the crossfire yeah. of these shootings as we did in Times Square, as we saw with a little girl in Harlem on Halloween, as we've seen in other instances where kids have been hit in playgrounds. It's broad daylight. They don't seem to care if the police are around. They don't seem to care if innocent bystanders are around. And those shots are just getting fired. From your viewpoint, what do you see going on? You know, Lisa, you know, this whole, during this whole what they're calling the pandemic, uh, it, it, it's been a lot of violence. And so one of the things that we saw early on in the pandemic was uh, one, we saw a lot of death due to the virus. And I think that, um, and others would agree, you know, when I talk to folks at the hospital, some of the social workers and psychologists about what's happening with the violence, that uh, a lot of our communities, which were already uh, traumatized and in crisis, and now here comes the pandemic, and then there came, thereby came the loss of life in big numbers. And all of our communities, particularly Black and Latino families, experienced a lot of death. That uh, death in itself, the fear about the virus, also kicks off people's trauma. And so people who would normally live in a house together, I would say like two families, sometimes three families deep, but never there at the same time, began to have to be there at the same time. People lost jobs, people um, 
lost apartments early on before there was a moratorium on evictions because they could not go to work. They were already behind in rent. It was the perfect time for landlords to put them out. So we saw people in crisis. We, we saw people under a whole lot of stress and trauma. And then we saw the release of those from prison to decrease the numbers to deal with the COVID issue. So people were being released without the proper oversight. Not that they shouldn't come home, but there was no provision of oversight and to some and no extent. Place to the, and no place to really go. And no place for them to go. Not even a place for them to live. So we saw people doing what's called ass betting. People started getting their stimulus check, unemployment. Uh, we saw the scams around SBA and all of that. We're seeing more of that come to fruition now. And so people began to gamble. There were late night cookouts, barbecues, uh, and lots and lots of uh, gambling on the street. A lot of that gambling led to shooting, led to violent acts like slashings and stabbings. And of course, uh, some of the homicides we see because people who had money were looking to make more money and people who didn't were looking to make money off of those who had. And so a lot of what Street Corner Resources uh, Speak Peace Forward team that's out on the street responded to were situations like that. Stabbings because of uh, of um, gambling and open drinking. And, and, a, lot of, and, and a lot of the economic desperation on top oh, of the emotional absolutely. trauma. Um, absolutely. Tamik, in terms, of, in terms of your nephew, of, of Shaheem McLean, may he rest in peace. The, what can you tell us about what happened to him? Um, to my knowledge, uh, my nephew, he was an aspiring rapper. And um, he just got caught up in the mix of, you know, neighborhood beasts. Um, you know, he, he was trying to do the right thing, you know, but, you know, the streets, you know, got a hold was they do with a lot of young men that's running around in these urban communities. Um, and it's like we need more mentors that's in the community to, to, to feed them some positivity because everything they get is negative, you know, and they really are afraid, you know, to express their feelings. Like, I wish I had more time to really, you know, sit down and build with him, you know, cause I was doing my work with the foundation and helping others. And it's for like, and I start to feel like I neglected him in sort of way because I should have been more focused on him, you know? So it was just a sad situation. No, it is a sad situation. And you can't blame yourself because you're doing everything that you possibly can to try to deal with this problem. And in my opinion, the one that should be blamed is that person that pulled the trigger. That's the person ultimately that should be blamed. Dr. Robert Gonzalez, you've been in, in law enforcement for more than 20 years. So you know this whole cycle that we see ourselves going through right now, it's, it seems familiar to some in law enforcement. Police Commissioner Shea says that we are near a 20-year high for shootings. For three years, the NYPD got shootings way down. They got murders way down. And then now we're seeing this skyrocketing. Give us your view of, of where we're at now and why this is happening. Well, as a result of bail reform, there are individuals who are being arrested for gun violence and then being let out to actually reoffend again. So until we look at bail reform, we might continue to see these issues. In addition to the disbandment of anti-crime teams in a local precincts, what should have happened is there should have been better supervision and better training for these anti-crime officers in lieu of just getting rid of the entire unit. Uh, so again, we need to look at um, what was being done in the 90s, some of the quality of life um, offenses with broken windows that helped to, to clean up our streets uh, in transit and also um, in our cities. We saw in Times Square just past this week where three people were shot in the middle of Times Square. So if you're not safe in Times Square, you're definitely not going to be safe in Brooklyn, in Bedford-Stuyvesant, where these incidents took place, where we lost a 22-month-old um, as a result of a stray bullet. 
So unless we go back to the basics in law enforcement, go back to broken windows, quality of life offenses, and go after the gun violence and the gun the gun holders, uh, we're going to continue to see this violence throughout the summer. Based on what you said, it looks like the summer is not going to be bright for some individuals unless we go back and start tackling these these incidences with gun violence. Okay, we're going to we're going to talk about that because there's also the, there's also the issue of criminal justice reform, and there's also the issue of the NYPD's new focus on trying to preserve the rights of innocent people and not have them get caught up in these sweeps and these raids and these these takedowns. So our question. When we come back to the guests, is going to, our guest is going to be, can we get safety? Can the, we get the police so they're focusing on the ones that are actually pulling the triggers without going after people that might be affiliated or might just be neighbors or might just be childhood friends or whatever? And what will it take to get peace and safety for everyone? That's what we're going to find out when we come back. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Stay with us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson. And right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl, Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. The police commissioner of New York City, Dermot Shea, says that shootings in New York are near a 20-year high after police had gone through three years of, of declines, then came the pandemic, and now we're seeing shootings. They're shooting in broad daylight. They don't care if there's kids around. And in some cases, they don't even care if there's police officers within the near, nearby vicinity. What's going on? What can be done? We've got a great panel to try to help us understand this and also navigate a way forward. Joining us, Aisha Seku. She's the founder and CEO of Street Corner Resources. It's a premier cure violence site in Harlem. She's been dedicating her life to improving the community, her community, for her entire life. Aisha, great to have you with us. Thank you. You know, Lisa, I do have to differ with uh, Mr. Gonzalez. I'm not sure that uh, the violence that we're seeing is due uh, to bail reform per se. Okay, I used to hold on. Let me just reintroduce everybody and I'm okay, going to come back and let you address that. <laughs> okay. Also joining us, Dr. Robert Gonzalez, former assistant commissioner for training with the NYPD. He's an assistant professor of criminal justice at um, St. John's University, 22 years of law enforcement experience. Um, Dr. Robert Gonzalez, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Also with us is Tamik Floyd. He's the outreach coordinator for the Taj Gibson Foundation. They've been doing a lot of work in the community. The big summer plans ahead for 2021 to uh, help give the youth, both, both boys and girls, males and the females, positive alternatives to being out on the streets. He, unfortunately and tragically, he lost his nephew, Shaheem McLean, who was 21 years old to gun violence in Bed-Stuy last fall. Tamik, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Aisha. Let me give you a chance to respond. So doc, Dr. Robert Gonzalez says this is about bail reform. Uh, we've seen some incidents where the people are not being, they're being accused of shooting a gun, they get arrested, and then they're, they're right back out on the streets participating in the, the rest of whatever the beef was that got them started shooting in the first place. Do you think that's a valid concern in this or a valid piece of this or not? Uh, I don't want to attribute, and I'm not in agreement with attributing uh, the increase of violence uh, to bail reform. I think that the increase of violence is the lack of oversight or management of those that have been released. And so we saw that even before the pandemic, that those people that were being released were released with no provision of oversight. So that's one thing we have to look at those people who manage uh, people who are reentering are already overworked. And I don't think that the reform and the, uh, the people who manage them 
is equal. Like uh, the uh, officers, probation and parole officers have a heavy caseload already. And now you have people being released and who's managing those people. So we saw people go back to uh, criminality because they were not being provided oversight. I think the other thing is, and that's a place where the city needs to assess and, and uh, make uh, some adjustments. But I think also the uh, uptick in, in violence, like I said, had a lot to do with uh, people being homeless and not having an, an economic crisis. Um, and we just saw people actually panicking and that uh, bail reform and not just bail reform because they cleansed the jails, so to speak. Um, they let out people to try to thin the population, but they again did not provide the kind no of support, oversight. No support, we, no reentry, no no reentry no re -entry support, almost Tameek, what, none. Tamik, what's your what's your take on that? When you uh, look um, at going, you're out there on those streets every single day in Brooklyn, especially. What do you think is contributing? What do you think are the main points of of what's contributing to this violence? I would say lack of intervention programs and um, lack of accountability on both parts from law enforcement and the community. Um, you have individuals that's policing these communities that's not from these communities that don't understand the people mm -hmm. that's from, you know, so that's the disconnect right there. And on the other side, you have people from the community that don't want to connect and communicate with law enforcement, other problems. So it's like, it's, it's basically accountability. You know, we have to hold ourselves accountable to, to be productive citizens. You know, unfortunately I was, formerly incarcerated and I don't I do not agree with that you know the bell reform because you have individuals that committed crimes and really changed their life you know so I'm not totally agree with I'm not solely um you know I, I'm just one of many individuals who um you know did something that wasn't right and paid it to society and now out here and 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 trying to change the narrative I am changing the narrative you know, you changing the, no, you're definitely you are changing the narrative and you're also telling people, look, this is how we this is how we interact with police in a positive way to have them do what we need them to do in our communities, which is arrest people that are hurting, hurting other people, stealing their property, causing mayhem and stress in the neighborhood and not bother people that are not, you know, not doing anything. Dr. Robert Gonzalez, the. Uh, the, the issue, and we've interviewed you previously about this, but the, there's been a combination, kind of like a, a perfect storm of factors in terms of the gun violence situation in New York. We had the courts closed for a long time, so no grand juries doing any indictments. We had to, a lot of economic issues, people a lot, a lot easier to run guns in some cases, take a drive down south or wherever and drive back to New York than it is to to deal with drug you know with drug dealing when people had had no money and then also just this the, just that overall tension and desperation that has been in the air for the last for over the year what do you what do you think about those factors well again we have to remember that law enforcement was dealing with covid uh, both with the public and also within the agency they lost a lot of officers that went out sick so that was less police officers out on the street to enforce uh, the regulations in our communities. But I just want to make something very clear. When I speak about bail reform, I speak about those issues that are releasing hardened criminals, individuals mm -hmm. who are out there possessing firearms and shooting one another. Those are the individuals and those are the areas of bail reform that I think need to be looked at. I'm not talking about the hardworking mother or father who are who cannot afford bail as a result of being arrested for, let's say, a domestic dispute or even a minor larceny in that case. I'm talking about the hardened violent criminals who are out of, out on bail to offend and reoffend, and then offend again. 
I read an article a few months ago of an individual who was involved in a shooting that was out on bail twice um, and actually shot another individual in our own communities, whether it's Spanish Harlem, whether it's Brooklyn. So those are the areas that I think we need to look at. But we need to go back to the basics. We need to take the handcuffs off our police officers. We know now that there have been changes from City Hall as it relates to how the police are engaging. There are, are um, retention issues. Police officers are retiring in record numbers um, because of defunding of the police, uh, police officers not being hired. So our, our communities are suffering because we have less police officers out in the street as it relates to retirements and as it relates to new hires. And until we address those issues, we're going to continue to see a spike in gun violence. And it affects everyone in our community. Exactly. All right. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, yeah. What up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the surge in shootings in New York City, gangs and guns, what can be done, what's being done, and what are we looking forward to this summer? Is it going to be a positive one? Is it going to be positive change? Or will the dire predictions that are already starting to emerge of a very violent summer because of the rise in shootings we've seen so far, will they be coming true? That's what we're talking about with our guests. Joining me, Aisha Sekou. She's a founder and CEO of Street Corner Resources. It's a premier cure violence site in Harlem. She's dedicated her entire life to uplifting her community and providing peace and promoting peace. Aisha, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Tamik Floyd. He's the outreach coordinator for the Taj Gibson Foundation. He lost his nephew, Shaheem McLean, who was 21 years old, to gun violence last fall. Tamik, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, Lisa. We appreciate it. Also joining us is Dr. Robert Gonzalez. He's a former assistant commissioner of training with the NYPD. He's also an assistant hmm. professor of criminal justice at St. John's University. Uh, 22 years of law enforcement experience. Dr. Robert Gonzalez, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. To, to me, give us a sense of the, this, the police community dynamic because last summer in the middle of the pandemic, you and, and Taj Gibson and the members of, the, of your foundation, along with a lot of other community groups, and many kids that just joined, they were riding up on their bicycles and coming, coming in off the streets, which was kind of an incredible, incredible sight, right there on Fulton Street, right on Black Lives Matter way there. And you were working it, you coordinated with the police. Why at that time, especially during the summer, why did you take that step? There was so many things going on throughout the country that was really dividing even more. So we wanted to be the ones to step up you know, and Taj, he, he, you know, we just use, he's maximizing his platform, you know, because when he comes around, because he's so accessible and he's there for the community, you know, they tend to listen, like, let's let's try to connect with, with, with the police, you know, let's do something to show some type of unity. And um, it was successful. Um, and, you know, so this summer we want to, you know, stay on call with that same theme. So we have a, a unity community initiative that's going to be taking take place throughout each borough. We're going to have a basketball game in each borough for girls and boys, you know, ages, high school age. And, you know, we're going to have different agencies come out with resources. So it's not it's, it's, it's bigger than the game. It's more so they taking something tangible back with them after the event. And then we're also going to have a, a tribute game for um, Brandon Hendricks, the young kid. He was killed last year. A week after. Yeah. Yes. And um. 
Devell Gardner Jr., the one-year-old that was killed in Bed-Stuy. We're going to have a tribute game for them um, June 19th on Pier 17th. That's going to kick off uh, um, Community Initiative, Unity and Community, followed by a concert for peace at MCU Park in Brooklyn. So we're trying to do things along with the NYPD, along with the mayor office, along with you, Lisa, with your branding, and really give these kids some positive to do this summer and let them express themselves and, and, and be in a setting where they don't have to fear about, you know, getting shot at, you know? So, um, but yeah, that was a, that was amazing dope event. Um, the NYPD was so appreciative and, you know, they helped, you know, so I like, like I said before, we're not anti-police, you know, we want to bridge the gap, you know, so we don't have no problem at all working with the NYPD and showing the community that you have some good officers, you know, you just have to see through the negativity that the media put out there because every officer is not a bad officer. Rob, what do you think about that in terms of because they did work with the they did work with the police department. A lot of people were like, whoa, wait a minute. How is that? And I was one of them because I went out there and I said, I want to see how this is going to work. And yet they had a lot of the officers it wasn't just community affairs, which they do an amazing job. But community affairs kind of led the charge. And then there were other officers from the precinct, different commanders. Does that help? Does that pay a dividend in terms of actually you know, promoting safety. Oh, absolutely. Uh, nobody hates a bad officer more than a good officer. And the more that we work with the community and law enforcement to bridge that gap, the better everyone benefits. Again, there are police officers who do enjoy what they do. They like working with the community. And it's not just your community policing officers. It's every officer. I know me, myself, I enjoyed working with the community. I used to go out to events both on and off duty to support the local communities. And there are a lot of officers that feel that way. But again, until we bring the community and the police back together, have some dialogue, have host events together to show not just the good people, but also the bad people that, you know, we have relationships with law enforcement and we'll reach out to law enforcement when we need them because that's what they're there for. Aisha, what about, what about the relationship with the police? Because there have been plenty of times when you've said, listen, this is what's going on. This is what you guys need to be doing. And then there are other times, too, where you've, you've had collaborated uh, to get things done and to get certain changes made in, in Harlem there. What's your, what's your take on this right now? So we've been working really, uh, I would say we've been working diligently to increase the relationship with the police in the community. Why? Because I know if somebody's coming through my window or trying to, you know, jiggle my door, I'm going to call the police. Right. And so I also know that over years I have a grown daughter and over the years of her growing up, even to, to her uh, disagreement, those officers, I could name them, Vinnie Chappelle, uh, Taylor, I knew all of them, Harrison, this was a different Harrison, even when the new Harrison came in, I, you know, I've known him. And so just to be able to have the relationships on a, not just a first name basis, but real relationships where I could say as a mother in the neighborhood, if you see my daughter, you make sure you tell her to get in here if it's getting ready to get dark. And they would do that. We need to know the officers in our community. They need to know us. It doesn't need to be through a, a criminal type lens. I think when people know each other in the community, we develop better relationships. I do want to say something about the safe summer. You mentioned it. Uh, and so a safe summer is a great thing. You know, I see that the mayor put together a plan. I'm glad that I had some voice in that. Um, but I have to say that really summer didn't end from last summer. It's been summer all throughout the pandemic because we relate a safe summer or not safe summer or just the word summer to violence. Right. And so I think that uh, we don't only need to put 
a plan together for the summer. We need to put together plans like Brother Tamik uh, is doing with his organization, like Street Corner Resources is doing. We need more organizations on the ground that are really willing to do the work, to become mentors and create programming that goes year round because over the time of a year, you can help to change behavior. You can get a kid who's out of school, back in school or off to college. We can train young people how to do different kinds of jobs, them uh, to positive things. Young people learn how to resolve conflict through agreement and disagreement and having someone there who can help guide that. They learn how to resolve conflict through games, basketball, checkers, chess, how to win and how to lose. And then what do you do when you do lose, right? How do you get better as opposed to fighting? So we need these spaces open so our young people will learn how to do these things. And they'll also learn that, hey, if I got a beef, I'm feeling unsafe, I don't have to take five seconds to pull a trigger to give me 25. I can take 25 minutes and go talk to somebody and let them, you know, comfort me and de-escalate me as opposed to going out and taking an action that changes your whole life. So we need all of these community centers and public housing to be open, not locked with a, a, a chain and a right. big padlock that says don't come in. These empty stores that have closed during the pandemic, especially restaurants that are already set up, we need culinary programs in those restaurants. Bring those owners back to teach our young people and then let's get those businesses back up and flourishing in the community as That's a learning a place idea. and a place for our businesses to succeed. So there is a lot of opportunity. We don't have to put a Band-Aid on the summer. We can create something that is long lasting and that young people have real memories of their childhood. So thank that would you. Be fantastic, that'd be fantastic. This is Street Soldiers, I'm your host Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yo, what up, this your homie Ace Hood and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real poly tricks and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the surge in shootings in New York City. What needs to be done to turn that around and to have a safe summer for everyone? We'll find out what our guests have to say about this. Joining me is Aisha Seku. She's the founder and CEO of Street Corner Resources. It's a premier cure violence site in Harlem. She's dedicated her life to making the streets better, her community safer, and uplifting the youth. Aisha, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Tamik Floyd. He's the outreach co uh, coordinator for the Taj Gibson Foundation. He lost his nephew, Shaheem McLean, who was 21 years old to gun violence last fall. And he's in the process along with his team of organizing a series of events throughout the summer to engage young people, provide sports, competitions, concerts, all sorts of things to try to give them alternatives to violence and really just support them in a positive direction. To me, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Also joining us, Dr. Robert Gonzalez, former assistant commissioner of training at the NYPD. He's an assistant professor of criminal justice at St. John's University, uh, 22 years in law enforcement. Rob, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Thank you, Rob. The, uh, the, the mayor talked about we, that New York City cannot just get a handle on the shootings and the gun violence on its own, that a huge part of the problem is this patchwork quilt of uh, legislation from state to state about who can get who can get a gun. The police commissioner says guns have been flooding into New York City, especially during the pandemic. And um, no matter how many they take off the streets, there's more coming in from these other states. How big a piece is that of this stop the shootings puzzle? 
that piece is huge. Uh, we need states, especially in the South, to uh, increase their legislation, improve on their legislation, to not put the, the guns in the hands of individuals that are looking to profit off of transporting these firearms into New York City and then selling them at a huge profit. So again, we need cooperation on the federal level to impose one standard of what you need and what's required for an individual to possess a firearm sales license, because that's what they do. They go down state, they, they, they get a, a license that allows them to purchase an unreasonable amount of firearms. And then they transport those firearms uh, to states like New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And then they sell those firearms in the street for a huge profit. So we need the federal government to step in, have one mandate for every state to abide by to prevent those firearms from being transported to our cities. Tamik, what do you think? What do you think about that? Like how easy it is to get a gun in New York right now? This is this is crazy. I mean, you'll you'll find a gun before you find a book, and in, in our communities, it's crazy. Um, I think, but well, there's a lot of politics behind the scenes. They need to take the politics out of it and care about human beings because at the end of the day, the human beings is, is is the ones that's losing their lives. You have mothers. My sister, example, was lost her baby, her oldest kid. And it's because there's too many politics bickering on, on their own agendas and just not say, you know, this is supposed to be a human thing and let's save these lives because the gun violence is, is, is rapid in urban communities. So it seems like you don't really care. You know, if it was happening in suburbia, would it be more of an issue to, to, to cure the gun violence? And then what kind of an impact? Just give us a sense from the family perspective, if you don't mind you know, for your sister losing her son like that. How does that, how does that impact the family? Cause it's gotta be tragedy and then really, really tough. It's tough because I, I don't really know what to say to, you know, say to her, she lost her kid, you know? So it's like, and he was the oldest of her children. And it's just, I go to her house. She has like a little memorial of him. You know, he'll say he liked to rap. So she made a little memorial with his favorite pair of shoes, which was, was uh, McQueen's and um, McQueen, excuse me, and, and, and a microphone, you know, that he used to rap with in the studio. So it's just heartbreaking. You know, it's heartbreaking to see, you know, how much he has grown in short little time. Um, you know, he was honing his skills to be a, a MC, and it was like something that he really was adamant about. He was working at Applebee's at the, I mean, excuse me, Olive Garden at the time of his murder. And um, it was just her, just like, it's, 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 I've seen a lot growing up, unfortunately, living in the, private, the housing developments. But, you know, when it hits home like that, and to see how, you know, she's very strong. But, you know, it's, it's hurtful. You know, it's really hurtful to see my sister go through that pain, you know. And, and it, it, I know that I became a better person because, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. You know, years ago, I probably wanted to inflict that same pain on somebody. But I know that this is the right way to do it by getting on this platform and speaking about it and try to help somebody else's kid, say somebody else's kid, you know, some another parent from going through what my sister has been through. No. And, and thank, thank you for thank you for sharing that with us. Aisha, this is the other the other piece that I'm always struck by when I have to report on a shooting mm -hmm. or news or whatever, especially if there's there's a child involved or a young person involved as the shooting as the shooting victim, which is so often the so often the case. It's like the community trauma. It's like we leave it. The news crews leave. But that community trauma is still there, you know, for the family, as Tamik just described for us. Um, you know, so incredibly movingly, but also for the kids, the kids see this and it's like, what does that do to them? What does that do to the, to the youth when they see this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, I'm glad that you raised this because uh, what people usually see as the residual effect of the shooting is 
uh, the person who lost life in a casket and everybody's saying, oh, he looks good. Uh, you know, he looks so great or she looks so great. N no dead child looks great in a casket. That's the first thing. The other thing is, is the community is left with such pain. It pains me to even hear Tamik talk about his sister and her grief. I could feel that in a certain way. I'm not a mother who lost a child, but I have seen enough young people right. dead before they're dressed up in the hospital, knife in the chest, knife stuck in the neck, bullet in the head, all of that. Like the stuff that people don't see, you know, the coroner takes care of it and make the dead look good. What we also see are young people who are left in the community, not knowing how to deal with trauma and pain and grief. And so what, what do they do? They smoke and drink the pain away only to numb, but also to numb their, their brain and their mind. And so it's so much easier because I always say the trigger is pulled long before the trigger is pulled. Why? Enough pain, enough grief, enough seeing your friends die time after time after time. It is easier. And especially add the video games in where they shoot people for 16 hours a day. You desensitize your brain and your spirit. You no longer feel. So that kid finally gets a gun in his hand. Small conflict. Right. And big, then that, and then solution. Right. But, Pulling but, the trigger. And we need we need counselors. I just want to say this, Lisa, because it's important. Our public schools are without counselors. So young people don't have a go to person. And that young person that usually needs to go to the counselor is also seen as the one who is wrong and bad and nobody right. wants to be bothered with. Who's and going out public the housing doesn't have counselors either. So I'm putting a plea out to our mayor that this school year coming forward, we need a counselor, at least one in every school. If okay, there is- Okay, Aisha, let's get, we'll, and, and we'll get- we'll, Thank that's you. A, that's a great way for us to, to focus on in, in the, the back to school. But, but finally, um, Dr. Robert Gonzalez, we talk about mental health here just briefly in terms of, the, in terms of these shootings. Mm -hmm. The type of people that are coming into the police department now, it seems like they're looking for a very different type of candidate than in the past. I've met numerous supervisors, I, I wanna say over the last year, um, out on the streets, covering stories at the community events, covering the covering some of the great events that that Tamik and, and Taj and their team have been doing, especially in and especially in Bed Stuy there, and the the officers that are being promoted are the ones they grew up in New York City. They've said like, I came from this neighborhood, I know the the community. This is you know, I I just I can't stand to see what's going on. I really want to help people. Is there a change in who they're looking for right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now we see that the chief of department, chief patrol and chief community affairs are all African-American. So the face of law enforcement in New York City is becoming diverse. It's taken centuries to get to that point, right. but it seems like we're making great strides. And that is the number one recruitment effort is to show people of color making the decisions to encourage officers or individuals, I should say, in the street from joining the police department. So the more diversity at the top will increase the diversity at the bottom and we'll continue to have people in our own communities becoming police. So I think that's a great recruitment effort, you know, from New York City at this point. And and it helped too with dealing with the shootings and having people feel comfortable talking and information. Absolutely. And, and all that. I, Tamika, mm -hmm. I want to give you the I want to give you the final word on this. And what what would you say to somebody that has a gun right now, or that you know a girl a girl that knows her guy has a gun, or a mother that knows her son or father knows his son has a gun? What would what would you say to that person, or the person even who's carrying it? I would say uh, don't let a five uh, a five second action turn into 25 years of your life, because usually these kids, 
they shooting guns, they don't know how to properly cross the street. Mm-hmm. You know, so my thing is, if you got a gun, just put it down, bro. It ain't like end of the day, you know, you will live to fight another day because, you know, you may kill somebody, but your life will be done too. That's right. Exactly. All right. Well, on that note, I want to thank all of you for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Aisha Seku, uh, Dr. Robert Gonzalez, and Tamik Floyd, thank you all for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.